0: I don't know how much time I've got. You know, none of us get to know that. And so you do look at it as an every day at a time to think, okay, what can I do to be more productive today, to be more empathic, to be more caring, considerate, kind, and understanding? Uh, that people wouldn't describe me as being that guy.
1: What is financial sobriety? Good morning. Great to see you here in studio today. Well, you know, it was close. (laughs) Well, with that, let's get back to the way we do it. We've missed this the last couple of episodes. What are you grateful for today?
2: I am wearing some of my gratitude today.
1: I was wondering about that.
2: So for those of you, obviously, that aren't in the studio with us, I'm wearing a pink and white themed Hawaiian shirt from our trip to Mexico. And I'm still a little bit in vacation mode. As we've talked about many times on the show, the concept of either a trip, a visit, or a vacation.
1: So you just did a vacation.
2: This was a vacation. Attaboy. Everybody knows how much I adore my family and my kids. This was actually just Beth and I going away with two other couples to celebrate a milestone birthday. So there was very little responsibility. Actually, the biggest responsibility was, what's for breakfast? What are we going to have for breakfast? And then how soon do we get to the guacamole? because the guacamole was just abundant and fresh, and it was just divine. So the vacation was just fabulous. The getaway with friends, the time with Beth, the relaxation, the rest and rehydration, all of those good things in a spectacular setting. Can't wait to go back. But I'm also grateful to be back so that we can do what we do. And I've got a little recharge and a little pep in my step, and I'm carrying it forward wearing my vacation wear here in the (laughs) Bikram Studio that Ace provides for us.
1: That's awesome. How about you? What are you grateful for? Oh, you just stuck a coin in the slot, brother. I'm gonna take a minute because I've got a lot I'm grateful for, a lot today. First and foremost, I'm grateful that this morning my eyes opened up and I've got another day. That is the centerpiece of my gratitude today, just that I'm alive, I'm healthy, I'm sober today in every aspect of my life. I'm incredibly grateful to see you rested. That's a huge part of my gratitude today. There's something that just—I don't know—it just fills me up. It gives me a good feeling when I see you rested. Well, in that case, slowing down. Yeah, yeah get 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 your butt. I'm gonna, back go, to back, I'm gonna go back to Punta Mita. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, if it helps you, then it—you know. Well. I... I lived for so many years in this world of comparison that I couldn't be happy for you that you went on vacation because I didn't get to go on vacation. I don't know. I'm just i very grateful that you're rested and that you went on vacation and got to enjoy this incredible time with your people. Thank you very much. It's awesome. You're welcome. And and thank you for allowing me to be grateful for that. I'm also grateful for the little trip that I took. While you were vacationing, uh, I was on a trip and a visit which I'm also equally grateful for, because every year for as long as I can remember, dad, brother Daniel, myself, we go on this little boys' trip, and we weren't able to do that for a couple of years because of this little pandemic thing that we've been in. So being able to get back to that boys' trip in probably the center of the universe of the anti-financial sobriety world, this little town we call Las Vegas— it's just I'm, I'm grateful for the time that I had with my dad, with my brother. And then to be able to come back onto this trip with now a son who's 21 years old, who's been chomping at the bit since he's probably 13, to be old enough to come with us to Las Vegas, to bring Miles to Las Vegas and to watch him experience the debauchery and the enormity of what Las Vegas is. Gluttony, but, excess, oh, all w- of it. Without participating in it, but as a spectator. Right. Just to, to to watch my son see all of this was was really cool to watch. It I was bad. It was just a blast. I've got one more little bit of gratitude I'm gonna share. And and I think it relates a little bit to the conversation we'd like to have today. I'm grateful for coincidence. I used to ignore coincidence. I used to see it as yeah, just coincidence. A, oh, that's a yeah, coincidence. It's a little speed bump, right? Right. right Dust it off, blow it off. But coincidence to me now is something so much bigger. It's it's every coincidence that happens, I really try hard to pay attention to it and what's really going on. So there was a coincidence Mm. that happened while we were approaching this Las Vegas trip. Dad is one of the healthiest human beings I've ever met. He's a doer. He's a goer. He's 77 years old, and he still wears his work like a badge of honor. He loves what he does. Right. And it's just he's passionate and he's just he's constantly on it the go it defines him it's who he is he is a very 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 successful man he's the very best at what he does in the world as a school superintendent and he's still doing it and when he's not doing it he's generally taking care of himself via exercise and eating healthy he's just he's that kind of guy who's just always going and wouldn't you know it since none of us are really drinkers i mean Dad and Daniel will have a couple. I don't drink. They like to gamble a little bit. I generally don't. Well, what else is there to do in Las Vegas if you don't do the drinking and the gambling and all the debauchery? Well, you're a big shopper. You like to shop. I like to window shop now, so I don't buy as much you as I used to. You so can't, what el- You can't what else? go antiquing? Eh, not Well, you can if you go off the strip. People but, watching. Yeah, we love to people watch, and we love to walk. We love walking up and down the strip. Our average mileage on in the years that we've gone to Vegas is generally 10 to 12 miles a day of actual walking. And wouldn't you know it, this coincidence, my dad, the doer, right before the Vegas trip, all lost of a sudden—
2: his, Lost his sneakers.
1: Uh, you would think, except you know how many pairs of ASIC running shoes he has. He had arthritis in his knee develop out of nowhere. He went to his doctor. His knee was feeling a little sore. Hank, you overdid it. You got up take the pressure off your knee. You got to stop. You got to slow down. You got to rest. It was a coincidence, right? This coincidence of here we are about to go on this trip where we generally, the centerpiece of the trip is all the walking that we do, and now we can't do that. Huh. Why is that happening? Now, old me and old Hank would have been like, why is this happening to us? Are you kidding me? This is why we go to Vegas, so we can walk and see and people watch. And now we can't. But what was so cool, I mean, for me, it was an automatic. This is happening for us, right? I need time with my brother. We just need to sit and talk and be with each other. I need time with my son. I need time with my dad. Because generally, when we're walking, we're going. But what was really cool was watching Hank, who's a goer and a doer, it was almost like his bell got rung a little bit. We didn't talk about this at all. I just, I observed this in him. Sure, sure. That he was disappointed, but he wasn't wallowing in it. No victimhood. No, he didn't play the victim card. Instead, he did what he could, which was sit there and be present with his sons and his grandson. And we got to watch, you know, NCAA March Madness in a sports book, which is something we've never done before. We've never sat still in Las Vegas. Ah, ha, ha. So we got to experience something completely new. It was something that happened for him. And to watch him be okay with that as somebody who's been going and doing and moving nonstop the entire 50 years I've known him on this planet, it was awesome. I'm incredibly grateful for it. It was not just a coincidence. It was a coincidence. It was something much bigger.
2: Well, that is a wonderful share on that. As we also turn the mic and introduce Ace. Yeah, we the got a studio. We today. got a
1: special guest today. We're we're getting you on the mic today, brother, because you need to be part of this conversation. Which so, is no coincidence. It's not a coincidence. What are you grateful for today? Well, I'm always here. I know oh, you're, you're always not here. always a guest. <laughs>
0: not unlike you, Matthew. I'm grateful to be here, literally, and that my eyes did open, and that I had the ability to take that breath and see the sky and the sun and life on a regular basis.
1: That's beautiful, brother.
0: That's a lovely way to slow it down. Wouldn't easy. No. You talk about getting your bell rung. Has that
1: ever happened to you? Oh, several times. I think we've all had our bell rung several times. Maybe that should be the name of the podcast. (laughs) The bell is ringing. Are you listening? That's the theme of the episode today. I mean, look, the whole genesis of the podcast, the whole genesis of the financial sobriety book, was a series of bells getting rung in my life that I wasn't paying attention to until the ring got loud enough. There's a saying, again, this is somewhat spiritual, but generally God has a way of talking to us. He can whisper in our ear, he can tap us on the shoulder, or he can smack us upside the head with a two-by-four to get our attention. We like to refer to that more as, you know, our bells are getting rung. And that's really what started this. And there's... A lot of people in our lives we're noticing that are getting their bells rung, and all we ever hope for is that they're hearing it. Yeah, I mean, because in my, my experience
2: is that the bell just keeps getting louder. My dear, dear friend, I mean, you obviously had some great interaction with him as well back in 05, Jim Kelly, always taught me the concept that you have to slow down to go faster. And... Whew, <laughs> what
1: a concept. Slow down slow to go down. faster. What a paradox.
2: To go faster. Yeah. That paradox has shown up in my life so many times because generally the ringing of the bell, that coincidence, is a force Slow slowdown. A forced slowdown.
1: Which is counter to everything that most of us have ever been taught. About go, 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 do, 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 have, 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 have. Come on. We live in a
2: society of just rampant workaholism. Yeah. That workaholism is absolutely ingrained in my DNA as I look at my family. Mine too, brother. Your family. yep. Ace, I think you could raise your hand on that one. Yet, until that bell rings and gets loud enough, we just kind of blow through it like a stop sign. and. That's where we want to slow this episode down and have Ace share a little bit more with us on on your experience with
1: that. The reason I want to hear from you today is because I think you're aware of your bell getting rung. We have another friend who is one is an incredibly healthy guy, and he's been going a million miles an hour. And his bell got rung big time in the form of a an bike. An accident. A, yeah, an accident where just— Because of some wet paint, he wound up with 20 broken bones, almost cost him his life, a punctured lung.
2: Medevac to the hospital.
1: Yeah. And for the next couple of weeks as he was recovering, I mean, it was like within three or four weeks, he's back up on the horse racing a million miles an hour again. And as someone who I love deeply, I'm worried that the next time the bell's going to be even louder. Right. Because he's not listening. Right. Something I forgot to mention in my gratitude today is how grateful I am to you, Ace, that you've listened to the bell rings in your life, especially some of the more recent ones.
0: It's not rings, plural. It's the most recent, for sure. (laughs) And and I'm grateful for you guys, because not only have you become friends, but I think we share a lot in the studio that has wakened me up and alerted me more to some of those bell rings. And I want to address something, too, Jim, that you said, the workaholism— It's the ism that's acceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, drugs and alcohol and sex, mm, Nah, it's not cool. Ain't that the truth. But you can work your ass off, and everybody goes, you go, boy. Right. You go. That's the badge
2: of
1: honor. Yeah. Workaholism is one of those isms that we honor Mm -hmm. in this country. We disguise it with words like work ethic. Work ethic and workaholism are two very different things.
0: And those bell rings— that you're talking about in my case started at 55. I got fired. Well,
1: why'd you Why'd you get fired? A variety of were you different reasons. We yeah. weren't. We weren't working
0: hard enough. You, I was going to say, it were wasn't. you not working hard
1: enough? Come on, <laughs> Get your butt to work, Jeff. Maybe working too much
0: <laughs> with a little bit of antagonism to the authority. Well, you had a you had a heck of a career.
1: You were doing some pretty
0: big, amazing stuff. Uh, yeah, 35 years in in a career or in a business that is known for its terminations and movement. And I've spent 35 of them for the most part, in Sacramento. few outside of starting in Chicago and Dallas, but yeah, that's a rare, a rare condition in the broadcasting business. But again, very, very fortunate. And we say happening two or four, that led me to what we do today.
2: So, but at that time, just to unpack that for a second, were, were you expecting it at 55?
0: No. At 55, what a horrible time to start over. Why is that? You're looking at retirement. Yeah. You're looking at relaxing. You're looking at maybe slowing down. Did you have kids in college? They were done. They oh, were done. I was really, God. Really, All right. So really that window closed. They were done.
2: But retirement is just, oh, it's, it's not over looking. a mountain. It, it's not over a mountain. It's over a hill. Right, You can see it better now. Right. And you had? did you have a second career ready to go? No. Okay.
0: Not, not like that and not with the expectation. So this was a
2: Scud missile that came in out of nowhere and- conceptually took
1: you out. Yes. Yeah, it was a bell ring. I mean, because I, I, I don't want to— had some
0: inkling it was coming and had some idea I could prep for what I was going to do next, because God forbid I should think about retiring for real. The reality of it is very different than the thought process of it.
1: And I, I would have to imagine—I mean, we, we didn't really get into the details of what your life was like prior to 55, but— I mean, you, you were at the top of the broadcasting business, of the radio broadcasting business. In, in a
0: local radio market, yes. Yeah,
1: you were, you were the top dog. So I would imagine that took a certain pace of how you lived your life to be able to achieve that accomplishment and get to that place where you were in your 50s.
0: Well, and having that ism that's acceptable, yes.
1: And then boom, the bell gets rung. Right. You get to pause and slow down. But it was a ding. Ah, it, it was only really a ding. So it was a little a little whisper in the ear, not quite the two-by-four yet.
0: Mm-mm. No, not even the two. The next one wasn't even the two-by-four. The next one was like a little more of a blow in the wind on this one. So I get the little ding, and then on Easter Sunday, about five years ago, I fall off a ladder from about 16 feet onto a concrete platform. Oh, my. And I get up, and my wife is up on a second level looking down at me. She goes, you okay? And I said, mm, I don't think so. looks like my wrist is oh." Oh, it, it's, Yeah, it's definitely broke my wrist. Let's go to the hospital. And sure enough, fractured my wrist, broke my hand, compound fracture, all this fun stuff. And Which,
2: not to diminish that in the slightest, but that sounds like, as my kids used to say, a booze. Uh-huh. Right? Relative to falling off a 16-foot ladder on a piece of concrete? Yeah. Yeah. Our anatomy does, I don't think it's made of rubber.
0: My uh, head didn't hit. How did I not hit my head? Yeah. How did I not damage? right. Something of compound fracture, right? Uh, well, I did have that, but it wasn't as bad as as it could have been.
1: It wasn't a Joe Theismann, no, well, no, because no. it wasn't it wasn't meant to take you out. It was meant to wake you up. That's correct. It was pins and plates and a lot of work to
0: get back. But wow. it okay, it happened, and you do stop and you say, "Oh, Easter Sunday." All right, there's something here. I get it.
1: Coincidence? Correct, <laughs> or right. not? Right?
0: Yeah, Celestine prophecy. There are no coincidences. <laughs> yeah. And so, you evaluate, and you and I—we've had this conversation. Of, well, I talk about I get the got the scar on my wrist from you know the surgery and everything else, and I can always look down and remind myself something happened. What am I going to do about it? Mm. There's a reason for this that happened. What do I do? What is that purpose? How does that purpose go a step further? But that wasn't all, because I—but wait, there's more. Obviously, (laughs) if you act now, I didn't pay enough attention, and. Similar to some of the gentlemen you were talking about, you know, Matthew, your dad, and Jim, your good friend, I would say I'm in pretty good shape. It's important to me because I really think that if you aren't healthy, you can't help anybody around you.
1: You're in pretty good shape. How many miles a day were you riding on your Well, well not, not a
0: day, but you know, on rides, we go out 60, 80, 100 miles. Yeah. And in July of last year, I would say arguably some of the best shape of my life for cycling. And I was preparing for a big ride. And just for our listeners, you are, you are now older than 55. Yeah, add 10. Right. Uh, at the time. Yeah. So we're prepping for this ride. We get up there. It's in, in Markleyville in July. And if anybody recalls what happened in Markleyville in July, toward the end of the month, the fire started. Mm. 2,200 people with their bicycles all fired up and ready to go on, coincidentally, what's called the death ride. Doesn't happen. Huh. The death ride is canceled. It is canceled due, due to, to fire. Due to fire. And smoke. So everybody's disappointed. We all go home. And that ride would have been how long? 100 miles. 100 miles.
2: 15,000 in heat, feet. In the heat of July, 15,000 feet of elevation change. Climbing. Climbing. Mm hmm. Fun. So good shape. You have to be in extraordinary shape to even contemplate it,
1: let alone. Enter it and complete it. Yes. So I, I remember when this was all happening. I mean, yeah. You showed us pictures of the fire and everything. What I'm curious about, and I don't remember if we talked about this before some recording when you were showing us pictures when we were in studio, when that happened, did you take pause about, oh my gosh, all this work that I put into this and this race is now not happening? I mean, w- was, there, was there anything at that point that you looked at this coincidence of how is the fire starting and happening right as we're doing this race that I've been preparing for? And gosh darn it, why is this happening to me? Or perhaps why is this happening for me? Was there was there anything? Because that's a bell ring to me, right? W- was there any? Yes, there
0: was. It was okay. There's a reason for this. Ah, There is a reason for this. Why okay. did this not happen? I got to figure this out. I process it in some way, shape, or form. And I'm sure I wasn't the only one. You work so hard to accomplish a goal, and you're not able to perform to complete it. Yeah, you couldn't do it. August comes, and I go out for a ride, and I'm in this great shape, and I have an opportunity in August where I ride with a group down in Carmel every year. And I'm thinking, I usually get dropped. Same age guys, but they're really, really in good shape. And I'm thinking, not this year, because this year I'm in really good shape, and I didn't get to do a big ride so this ought to be interesting and I'm going out for my training rides before we go down in August and I get this just an unusual sensation in my chest and you would say unusual because if you're fit and you're thinking it certainly couldn't be anything like my heart This is a yeah, little muscle pull maybe something else, this yeah. is just weird and it happens two times prior and I said it's better not happen when I go out for the ride with the guys because I'm going to hang with the group Sure enough, we get down to Carmel. I go out with the guys, and there it is. And I said, screw it. I'm banging through it. There's no way I'm not hanging.
2: I'm gonna, with I'm the gonna guys. tough it out. Right? Yep. Tough it out
0: and grind grind through it. I'm gonna grind through it. Yeah. And I do. That's and, my that's my playbook. And and for anybody that's listening, I will everything I can share to say, don't do that. You feel it, get it checked right away but I hang with the group and it's the best ride I've ever had with them in 15
1: years. So hang on, your body, <laughs> your body created a feeling. I'm just I'm kind of rewinding the tape a little bit here to a couple episodes ago, you know, episode 58 when we're talking about our feelings and how our head can hijack those feelings and turn them into things they're not. What you're describing is the exact opposite of that. Yes. Your body is creating a feeling that your head is hijacking and blowing off and telling you the exact opposite. Yes. Right? There's a component of your ego that jumped in the way of this feeling that your body was creating and said, eh, it's nothing. You're the man. Just keep riding. You're good. Fascinating.
0: Yeah. Hurts like hell. Seven minutes. Watched it on my monitor. Stopped. Cool.
1: Oh, all good. Oh.
0: Because I am not backing off. Goodness. Thank, so thank goodness you could like keep going. Right. And I get back and I, I'm so excited. I share it with my wife and I'm the best ride I've ever had with the guys. That's it. Asterix. Correct. Get home, go for one more ride, and it's twelve minutes. I
1: said, "Ah, this is really something. I've got to go to the doc." So the pains come. The pain is back. What is it? I mean, what did it feel like?
0: Like a burning, tearing sensation in the center of my chest. Whoa,
2: that's not normal.
0: At the beginning, I'm just
2: trying to help you. You know, post uh, that's that's post race here. That's not a good feeling. Slow learner. Yeah. Way is that to go. a good feeling?
1: Way to go there, Sports Center commentator. Well, I right. did. I spent, <laughs> I mean, all that medical school training <laughs> I did. You're a great Monday morning analy- analyst. 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 Thank you. Yeah, I'm yeah.
0: your quarterback. <laughs> 12 minutes of this. Uh, yeah. So I go to the doctor, and I say, hey, so something's not right here, and does an EKG, and says, eh, a little wonky, but not that bad. Go get a chest x-ray. I'm going to set you up with a cardiologist on Friday. This is Monday. Really coincidentally, or not- On Wednesday, we have an episode in here. Yes.
1: That Wednesday, yeah, we recorded. Yes, we
0: did. Of which you guys knew nothing because I looked fine, and you had a cardiologist come in.
1: Yes, our good friend Dr. Rishi Menon was kind enough to uh, come in and teach us a little bit about science.
0: Right. And I'm paying a lot of attention in these episodes as we're recording them. I go home that evening, 1 o'clock. The sensation wakes me up. I've never had it. You're not on a bicycle. Never had it, not on a bicycle. 1 o'clock in the morning. In bed. In bed. And my wife goes, what can I do? Can I help you with anything? It's like, no, there's nothing you can do. And it goes away. We go back to sleep. At 5 o'clock, I'm jolted out of bed with the most severe pain I've had ever. Exactly the same, only ratcheted up to a 10. Drops me to my knees, sweats, nausea the whole nine yards. That means heart attack to me. As I learned from the episode during the day prior, that's not good. 911, they're instantly there. Yes, you're having a heart attack. You're like You've got to be kidding me. I guess you've got to be kidding me. How could this be happening? Okay, just get through it. Where do you want to go? Guess where I want to go? I want to go to where Rishi works because I just met a cardiologist. Sure. Get me to Sutter Roseville. So we're rushed over there. I get to Sutter Roswell. I say, is, is Dr. Menon on duty by any chance? Yes, he is. And sure enough, he comes in, and we go through the process of every test you can Unbelievable. imagine. Unbelievable. An angiogram immediately with the expectation we're going to stint you. It'll be fine. Don't worry. And you'll probably ride better because it's probably a little bit of a blockage. But the heart test's fine, and the angiogram shows nothing. And they go, we can't stint. There's a little bit of blockage, and...
1: So all all the behaviors of a heart attack, but none of the none of the underlying underlying, none of the of the consequence,
0: yeah, and nothing to dictate what it was. That was in August, September, October, November. Tests in and out of the hospital, stress tests, cardiac MRI, literally every test that they could administer, with the exception of one, because they weren't sure what it was. Turns out they think it's vasospasms. So one more time? Vasospasms, which is the coronary artery, the main primary, the widowmaker artery, spasming. We don't know why. And by the way, you've got this little thing. We see it. It's usually benign. It's a myocardial bridge. Oh, what's that, Doc? Myocardial bridge means your coronary artery takes a dip into the heart instead of passing over it. It's congenital. You were born with it. You didn't make it happen. Okay,
1: So you got a Midtown Tunnel instead of a George Washington Bridge. Bingo. A little uh, homage to my friends in New York. Yeah.
0: With a little bit of traffic congestion.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Sounds like it. So
0: in November, we exhaust every opportunity in Sacramento. However, there is a test for vasospasms to confirm that's what you've got. And they said you have to go to a heart specialist teaching hospital, probably someplace like a Stanford or a Cleveland Clinic or a Mayo Clinic, because not a lot of people do it. Specialized chemicals, specialized service that only certain docs are prepared to do. We look into Stanford, they're willing to take me, and part of the willingness, we certainly believe, is because of my case. You know, at 65 years old, myocardial bridge, really good shape, what's this look like? And they call it a provocative test, you go there, catheterization, chemicals, the whole nine yards, yes, you have severe vasospasms, you have a deep myocardial bridge, and by the way, you have another birth defect called pectus excavatum, which we can't fix the heart without fixing that, which means changing the shape of the sternum. And that's another surgery with a thoracic surgeon versus the heart
1: surgeon. Wow. So your bell's just getting rung left and right.
0: Yeah, and, and I think because of our relationship, for me versus to me was always in Present. the discussion. Oh, yeah. What does this mean? What does this mean? Because you could very easily— go
2: down, the woe is me, what the hell?
0: I'm in great shape. How could this possibly happen? How can this
2: possibly be happening to me, given all of the effort that I put into my fitness and my well-being? How is it possible that this is happening to me? And let alone, how is it possible I'm finding out about this at 65 if two of these conditions are genetic? Not genetic, but congenital. Excuse me, congenital. Right. It would be so easy in this day and age to just fill your wagon of woe and drag it with you and go, poor,
0: poor, pitiful me. Mm-hmm. But you didn't. No. No. As a matter of fact, the opposite in some cases, I'd be dead if I wasn't in such good shape. Well, because that... That heart had been stressed and stressed That 5 a.m. wake-up call, you
2: wouldn't probably have endured many more of those. Correct. And did you have medical professionals share that
0: message? Yes. Yeah, the vasospasms only got worse, and what really knocked me down completely to the, the last effort of Stanford was, A, we can't identify it. We don't know why they're being caused, and I had what's called ventricular tachycardia, and so they had a monitor on me, and your heart just races. It's like AFib, only it's in your ventricular chambers, not your atrial chambers. Ventricular is the pumping you know, vibrating quickly, no pump. You pass out, you don't get caught, you die. Yeah. And so they don't like to see that happen. Dying is generally not <laughs> Yeah, that's good. That's kind of it. I got to wear this really cool vest that's called a life vest. And what it is, is if you should go into ventricular tachycardia, it will be like the paddles ah, and
1: jolt you out of it. I'm curious about something. This whole experience, here we are a few months later. You're not wearing the vest anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't have the monitor. I mean, there were several times, you know, Jim, you and I would come in, and you're all decked out with all this cool new gear that you're wearing. How has your life changed since? Because I mean, you, you've recovered. Your well, there
2: was something that happened on January 4th. Let me address that.
1: Oh, there was there was more. Yeah. Oh, so so before we get into how your life's changed, maybe we should yes. hear about what more. Yes. Ah. And
0: I do this for two purposes in terms of this discussion, I want as many people to hear this as possible, as well as to tell it as part of the story, is certainly I'm blessed and I'm extremely fortunate, and, and my gratitude goes so deep to all the people that were responsible for this happening. Stanford is the number one hospital for myocardial bridging and awareness and provocative testing and identification and surgery to repair in the world. And I'm with the team of doctors who instituted all this stuff back in 2010. So they've only been in this space for 12 years. My surgeon is a gentleman by the name of Jack Boyd. He's the number one heart surgeon in the world for performing the unroofing process of a myocardial bridge, which means you go through the surgery. It's a big open-heart surgery. He cuts the top of the heart to open it where that artery passes through so it no longer compresses the artery every time it beats. Hmm. Not for the faint of heart. Yeah, I'm, I'm already sweating. Right? And I've got this guy. I mean, how fortunate could I be to have the best of the best in my life to get me through whatever's going to happen on the back end of it? Let's just chalk it up to coincidence. Right. Okay. Two and a half hours away.
2: Yeah. Just mm-hmm. a car
1: ride. Yeah. That's a lovely coincidence.
0: Yeah. So now, on the backside of this, it's not even three months yet. It seems like a lot longer in the process, but today would be day 77 since I've got home. I was in the hospital for four days, uh, Tuesday, January 4th, till Saturday uh, when I came home. And to say it's anything short of miraculous, not, not me, but the process— and
1: just the fact that they could do this the
0: fact that they can do this so and, they they open your chest yes they
2: stop your heart yes they open up the top of the heart lift the they cut the
0: top of the heart they cut the top of the heart there's not there's no zipper on it so no. they cut the top of the heart yes they just cut the top of a heart heart's muscle so if you imagine when you cut like a piece yeah. of meat it kind of just flays open yeah heart does the same thing so they make a small incision after digitally mapping everything to know exactly where they're going to be with it. And they make that incision and it opens that piece of heart tissue over the artery that's compressed. So the heart, when a heart Giving beats, it space, beats, essentially?
2: Exactly. Okay. So they do all of that, which is just mind blowing times 10. Yes. And then they get to the experiatum, whatever you referred to, <laughs> uh, where they put in the simple simpleton here- uh, the chest plate, yes, to put the
0: sternum in the proper position. Right, two two different surgeries technically, but they did them. But both you got at a two for time. I did.
2: Okay, so we've had open heart surgery and
1: a sternum rebuild, ravage rabbit- sternum I mean, rebuild.
0: It's it's called a ravage procedure. Anybody a wants a savage to procedure, it's a savage, but it's called ravage. A ravage procedure. Uh, that,
1: that word makes sense to me. Finally, the medical community is using a word that English. makes sense to me because right. yeah. they ravage the ever-loving you know what out of your it's, center. It's spelled a part. little
0: differently. It's R A V I T C H after the doctor who instituted the surgery back in the forties. Yeah, I'm going to
1: stick with the way I like it. Rab. They ravage. Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah. So that. Four now. days in the hospital. Yes. And then <laughs> you're home. Lucky me. Wow. Right? And I mean that in every way, shape, and form, yes. And I remember as I was getting out of bed a few times, there's a million stories now that I can look back and laugh at, but as I was getting out of bed, they said, oh, he's got strong legs. This is great. Because a lot of the people are not in good shape who are having heart surgeries, as you can imagine. And fortunately for me, I was
1: in good shape. What did it feel like those first few days just trying to breathe? I mean, just you just had your chest ripped open. I got to imagine the discomfort just to breathe. What did that feel like?
0: Surprisingly, not as bad as you might think, okay Because you are drugged up. Oh, you're on a lot of medication for pain. And the ravage procedure is known to be an extremely painful process and procedure, typically done in teens and young
1: adults, not in sixty five year old guys. So what was going on in your head? As you first got home, you're healing, you're medicated. I mean, were, were you thinking about- The next bike ride? Yeah, the next bike ride, or, oh my gosh, I got to get in studio because Jim and Matt need to record. I mean, what, what was going through your head as you started the recovery process?
0: Yes to all of that, actually. Oh. Somewhere in there, there's a bike ride. I will get back on the bike, and I will be pedaling. That's not going away. That's a part of my life that I enjoy too much, so that hope- You've got to have hope. You can't, you can't not.
1: Was it hope or did it go beyond hope? I mean, I, it went hope to belief. was there. It certainly went to belief. What, what I mean by that was, was there at any point, now looking back on it, where the old ego came in, the old you know, CEO of the head, I have hope that I can get back to this. But was there anything inside of you, that old driving, I've got to do fill in the blank. I got to get back to work. I've mm-hmm. got to be productive again. I can't be down and out this long. I, was there any part of that starting to creep in?
0: Uh, yes. As, as a matter of fact, because we can do everything virtually, I was able to work after the first week, once you can deal with the pain and you get through that awareness, but in a very different way. And I remember a conversation with my wife at the hospital, and she was saying, God, I just, I just want the old Jeff back. Mm. That was somewhere pre-surgery because we went through August to November with a whole lot of uncertainty and the possibility of death. At at any time? At any time. Because you were wearing a life vest. A
2: life vest. Mm -hmm. So you're every day, almost every moment, and somewhere back in your psyche, somewhere you're thinking, you you have to be having moments thinking, well, is today the
0: day? Yes. And you think of everything that needs to get done. You think of I am living in the moment because what if I'm not here for my wife, my kids, my family, my grandkids, my work? How can I get everybody set so if I should disappear off the planet, they're in good shape.
1: So you so you weren't at times living in the moment, you were worried about all of that stuff. Yes. I've got a lot I gotta do because Future tripping. Yeah. Because this could be it at any minute. I right. got a lot going on.
0: Right. And I remember post surgery were in the hospital. I think I was standing at the time in a beautiful window in a Stanford hospital room, if anybody's been to the heart floors, looking out. And I said, the old Jeff's never coming back. He's he's different. And the experience of the first two days post-surgery where something I, I, I can't really explain them. It's still an incredibly emotional process. And I know the biggest question for me is why me? Why am I still here? Yeah. The miracle of life. Yeah. And there's there's so many other people that you think have a much better opportunity to provide service to others than yourself. Hmm. And, uh, okay, I'm here for a reason. Yeah. And you better figure it out because the first ding didn't work. The bell ring didn't work. So I just took the the monstrosity explosion to say you got a second chance, dude. The ravage, All right? You you get a second chance. And it's like, oh my god, I have a second chance. Oh my god, I have a second chance. That's the awakening, and I think that's the you know the epiphany, the awareness, and the the process is is also something I don't I don't want to forget to say this prayer positive energy, whatever you want to call it, however you describe it, however you feel it, going into surgery was, in my case, God looking and saying, I'm cool with whatever happens. I think I'm I'm comfortable with it. Everybody's aware, but I'm not worried. And the energy was palpable as they were wheeling me in. It was palpable. I could feel it. I don't know how to describe it, but I could feel it and i I'm so grateful was for it that. a comforting energy was it yes. a, okay it was an encouraging it was comforting and it was positive a hopeful energy yes, and I'm going to come out of this on the other side fine,
2: but I mean whatever the facing
0: outcome. whatever the
2: outcome facing that final conscious moment where you know you you effectively give your bride a hug and a squeeze and I love you, and then you're wheeled off not knowing if you're going to come out the other side of it. That's correct. I think, I'm just going to speak for myself on this one, I would be terrified. The emotion that you're describing is just, that sounds incredibly beautiful to me that you had this calming, mm-hmm. hopeful energy, but that would, wow, that that would
1: scare the bejesus out of yeah, me. Brother, I, I've i shared this with you before. I My father-in-law, when Al was diagnosed with a terminal illness years and years and years ago. Before he passed away, it was a progressive idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. It was basically this random cystic fibrosis that came into a man's life who had never smoked a cigarette a day in his life. One of the most faithful men I knew. I mean, he just he was grounded, he was healthy in every other aspect of his life, mentally, emotionally, physically, yet in the final moments, the amount of fear that he had... As, as death was approaching, as he was, you know, looking at what we affectionately refer to as graduation day, that struck me. It had a huge effect on me to where, I mean, here's this man who has, in my eyes, an abundant amount of faith in his higher power in the universe, yet he was facing it with so much fear. And it just—it it stuck with me in 2011 to where, for me— to hear what you just shared, Jeff, and how you were at peace. I mean, my whole quest and what I've been on is that whatever that day is, if it's tomorrow, if it's a decade from now, if that it's five minutes from now— tomorrow wouldn't be convenient. No, it wouldn't be. But if it is, have I lived each day that I've been given to the fullest that I possibly can and expressed and felt as much love as I possibly can so that when that day comes, I can be like you were in that moment— mm-hmm. I mean, talk about detaching from outcomes, Yeah. right? We, we've used that term on this show a lot. I mean, that is the ultimate test to whether we've reached a place in life where we can truly detach from outcomes when we're facing mortality like that. That's just
0: Maybe amazing. just the extra 10 years I've got on you guys.
1: It could be. <laughs> it, yeah, it, absolutely. Because that does come with time, yes. I, I would imagine.
0: There's an experiential part of it. But on the flip side, now that I'm out and on the mend, no life vest. I, I'm so fortunate that's not the case. And the search now and the intensity of that search, because we're I'm at an older age than I would have been 10 years ago, is there's, I don't know how much time I've got. You know, None of us get to know that. And so you do look at it as an every day at a time to think, okay, what can I do to be more productive today, to be more empathic, to be more caring, considerate, kind, and understanding? People wouldn't describe me as being that guy. I'm working on it, and I'm really aware of it. And because we know these myocardial bridges are something that tend to be thought as from many doctors benign, they aren't. And as I learn more and more and have now been engaged with a Facebook myocardial bridge group, there's a lot of people out there suffering from it saying, my doc won't recognize it, and they have similar symptoms. How can we make this more prevalent And there's also consensus that maybe 30% of the heart attacks, 30% of the population that dies from heart attack could have been walking around with a myocardial bridge. But when you die from a heart attack, that blockage would look like a blockage. Hmm. They're not going to dig in and say, oh, where's his artery? they're not going to, right.
1: So a byproduct of slowing down, this is, I mean, what what you're sharing is tremendous. And, And the level of detail and what you've learned about this whole process and just how this muscle inside of us called the heart actually functions is, is mind-blowing what you've learned from this.
0: Independent of the
1: brain. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why you can take a heart from one person and stick it in another. Unbelievable. It
0: does what it does on its own.
1: Unbelievable. I just, I want to simplify this. You were going a million miles an hour through life. Mm-hmm. Your bell got rung once. Your bell got rung again, mm-hmm. falling off the ladder. And now your bell got rung like the Liberty Bell was just hit with a redwood tree. Mm-hmm. but and something's changed.
2: But wait, there's a, another bell.
1: I know. We tried that one already. No. There's another bell?
2: Yeah. What happened about a week or so after you were starting to recover? <laughs> when they
0: do the chest procedure, they put a pin, a, a, something maybe the size of a, a, a small pencil. But it's solid metal. And it's meant to hold the sternum up from the ribs. In very, very, very rare instances, the pin shifts. In my case.
1: Like if you were to cough.
0: Not necessarily because of. They're not quite sure why it might. Could be because of coughing. But mine shifts. And it slides and causes me to go to the ER. And while the pin shift isn't the most significant thing, I go to the ER and I come home and I get COVID. Oh. So about- Holy shit. Three and, a half weeks out of, three and a half weeks out of the hospital with a complete chest reconstruction and a heart that's been through some trauma. COVID. The, I, the
1: thing that makes you cough uncontrollably, yes. this, this thing called COVID. Right. Because if that heart procedure and the chest reconstruction wasn't enough to ring your bell, let's give you something now that's going to make you cough uncontrollably for a couple of weeks. Are you kidding me?
0: It wasn't fun. And fortunately, because the only thing that goes through your head then is, am I tearing all this stuff apart? Am I making a mess in there of all the healing process? And what about the heart? And is all this going to be okay? And and you're coughing up a lung. Uh, you're coughing. I cough for two days straight. Wow. And you can't take any medication because you can't take any medication. You already have your heart medication. You don't want to mess with any of that stuff and find out something goes wrong. So, uh, yeah, it was... Uh,
1: So something out there really needed to make sure you were listening this time. Right. And you and you did. You heard it.
0: Oh, I heard it. I heard it. I don't have all the answers, obviously, but the search for some of those answers, I thought I had purpose. My purpose search is much deeper today than it would have been six months ago. And the amount of time that I spend working on it is much more time- than it would have been six months ago. And the significance of work to me is very different today than it was six months
1: ago. What do you mean by that? How is it different? How has it changed? That's what I've been really yeah, eager to hear. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I've only asked it like three times. Yeah. <laughs> What's changed?
0: The way you look at it and what the expectation of the outcome is for what you do and the amount of time you spend with the people that are important to you. I'm going to add a fourth because I think it's, really significant to make sure people know the story in some way, shape, or form. Because how many people do we know that things happen to them? Right. And we can maybe persuade
1: them that they're happening for them. Come on, we're, we're three of those people yes. that things used to happen to. Yes. And thank the heavens we've spent enough time chasing these little breadcrumbs to a trail that led us to this podcast studio where we could explore how every single experience in life— Mm -hmm. There's a gift in it. When we we stop judging them as good or bad experiences, when we take that human egoic-based labeling system off of these experiences, we can start exploring how these things happen for us. As unbelievable as your story is and this one-two punch of heart, chest reconstruction, COVID, how unbelievable something like that can be. By not labeling it as a good or a bad experience, we can start looking at how has this happened look for at me. It is a
0: wonderful experience. Right, I'm here, and it's completely changed your life. And there are yes, and there are people that I look at. I mean, we all know you get a cancer diagnosis. Oh my God, you know where that's going to end up.
1: How many times have you heard our dear friend Glenn say to you, "Cancer saved my life"?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, it's too many times to count. I mean, and he, and he has said cancer is the greatest thing that ever has happened to him.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I will tell you, I am grateful I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. It saved my life. It woke me the f*** up. Mm-hmm. And I finally started living. I was dying for so many years, and I finally started living. I never could have imagined being grateful that I'm an alcoholic. Right. I'm grateful for the experience you've gone through.
0: As am I. And I want to say something, because you talked about ego. The toughest thing for me is the description and the explanation and keeping ego out of it. It's not, pound your chest, look what I did, I got through it. Right. But there's a part of you that says, look what I did, I got through it. I beat it. No, you didn't beat it. Right. You were allowed to beat it because there's another reason for you to be here. And it's hard to accept that. It's hard to say that. It's It's hard for me right now. Because I'm so grateful that I'm still here to talk with you guys, but how do I manifest it properly, share it properly, and get it to the people that need to hear it properly without, look, you can do it too? It's not like that. It's not like that. It's the experience and the understanding. Again, I can't describe the emotion, and this isn't the place to go through some of the things that happened on those first couple of days post, because it's it's... It's too long in, in its description, but that's what changed me. Hmm. The fact that I'm still here is really significant, but a lot of that happened in those first two days when all of it's overwhelming
1: you. You have developed i mean you've you've always been a man who believes that there's something bigger than you out there absolutely this has this experience has absolutely from what I'm hearing solidified your faith in the fact that you didn't beat this. There was something bigger than you that allowed you to come through this on the other side because there's, there's more for you. Correct. And it really isn't up to you as to whether that was going to happen or not. That's correct. That's a very, very humbling experience. Mm-hmm. Very humbling.
2: And now you're, you're blessed with the ability to listen to what that is, right? It's not like there's a drawing of it that says you're going to go do this. <laughs> but no. No. Now, now you're in listen-only mode on— If you find that book, please share it. Uh,
1: absolutely. Well, guys, I mean, we we have all had experiences in life that have happened to us that we've allowed our emotions and our ego and everything involved in that to, at times, sweep us away. The amount I drank, ate, spent, that could have and should have killed me, but for some reason— some reason I don't fully understand, it didn't. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I get to open my eyes in the morning now and just simply be grateful for, right? I, I don't want to have to be a person that has to go through what you've gone through to be at a place in my life where I can just have that appreciation, that gratitude for this day that I have. Uh, Coach Jimmy V, I mean, the, the first time I was ever aware of what it is we're talking about, Coach Jimmy Valvano.
2: North Carolina basketball. North Carolina famous State. For, famous for his.
1: Yeah, they won the championship coaching. Oh, phenomenal. And I think it was the early 90s. He was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And his speech on the ESPYs, I, I recommend if you've not seen this, Google it. He, he did this incredible speech at the ESPY Awards with this terminal diagnosis, knowing that his days were limited, about never giving up, never taking a day for granted, living every day. Mm hmm as if it were your last and it just it i, I was young I, w- I was you know in college when this happened yep. but it it planted this seed in me that that sent me on this quest of how can i not have to have that experience to be able to really live this life one day at a time and if my eyes open up tomorrow morning the first thing i need to do is express gratitude for the fact that that happened how am i going to give all of me today To the best of my ability. How am I going to get myself out of the way, get that ego out of the way, so that whatever it is that's in charge out there can let me do what I'm called on this earth to do, which I believe is very simple. It's just to be helpful to Mm -hmm. other people. But Mm -hmm. man, over the years, did I have to slow everything down because I was going a million miles an hour trying to figure out what that was. And it wasn't until I got to slow things down because my bell was getting rung over this thing called spendaholism, alcoholism, food addiction. Right. And until my bell got rung loud enough, and and it really it felt like a redwood tree smacking me upside the head, could I finally slow things down enough to where I'm actually now going faster?
2: I always think of it as a bit of a redirect, right? You were going a million miles an hour in a particular direction. Yes. Jeff, you were going a million miles an hour in a particular direction, Mm -hmm. and at 55 you got redirected. Right. In 2017, you got redirected. Yeah. That redirection is what allows you to be able, I think, it allows you to be able to slow down. Uh, Granted, the bell's getting rung and all that, but now you're on a different path. You're on a completely different path. Yes. You were doing a magnificent job of living every day to your fullest (laughs) prior to
1: 2017. Yes. Because it probably was. But it it wasn't, it wasn't. I was filling this sure, hole in my that, soul up by the, living a million miles an hour, having fun. Correct. But I wasn't really having fun because at the end of the day, you I felt empty. You didn't feel fulfilled. I felt any, empty. Yeah.
0: And the mask is so real. Oh, yeah. The mask is so real. I could relate to it before, but I live it today, and I know when it's on. And it's like, God dang it. Yeah, don't. 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 Every day. You, you have to remind yourself every day how do I do this day better
1: than I used to? And sometimes it's just a matter of slowing down Mm -hmm. so that we can go faster. So what we're going to do in the next
2: episode is we are going to bring this back into the context of financial sobriety. And we're going to explore, now that we know Jeff's story, we're going to actually go into more of the financial aspect of it, not in terms of what this cost But just so often we talk about the concept of getting your financial house in order. Yeah. And your health care. And your health care.
1: Well, sure. I mean, And
2: your estate and your finances and where the hell is all the passwords and money and all this stuff. That's the next episode of financial sobriety.
1: Yeah. That Mm -hmm. that opens up a huge conversation. There was no coincidence about you had the best surgeon in the world at one of the best hospitals in the world. There's no coincidence to that. And not to mention— the good fortune of doctors
0: who were willing to say, we don't have the solution, because they could have put me on drugs and defibrillator and said, yeah, that's, that's what you got, man, and I wouldn't have known the difference. And they didn't settle. They did not.
2: They didn't allow mediocrity into the conversation, and they just kept pursuing excellence, and, pursuing
0: and, answers. And I won't say that you don't best advocate, but you keep pushing, too. You do all of your homework, and you keep pushing and asking and pushing and asking, and they realize, okay... We can't answer all his questions, so let's send let's elevate, him somewhere else. Let's elevate the conversation. Yeah, let's, let's play the game a little bit differently.
1: Thankfully, you got mediocrity out of your life and added that to your say no more Bingo. list. And with that, that's a, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt.
3: to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.